Let's pray. Our Father, we would ask that you would, by your Spirit, bless the scattering of the seed. May it fall on good soil for each of us. We pray that you would send forth your word and accomplish the purpose for which you've sent it. Help us to hear with new ears and fresh ears and see these things again applied to our hearts. We would humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. Would invite you to open two passages of Scripture Matthew chapter 6, where we were reading earlier, and also Exodus chapter 20, where we find the Ten Commandments. We'll begin with Matthew 6, and then we'll be turning to Exodus 20, and then back to Matthew 6. Today is the conclusion of the series on the Tenth Commandment. The Tenth Commandment, as it's found in Exodus 20, 17, reads, You shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. We've been looking at what is the sin of coveting, the breaking of the Tenth Commandment, and we saw that Coveting can take at least these two expressions. It can be either to desire what God forbids, and so we looked at Achan and how he coveted the gold of Jericho. Or coveting can be to desire wanting more or different than what God has provided. And that shows up in a number of different ways. It can show up as envy or greed or idolatry or just being discontent wanting more or different than what God has provided. We've also looked at why the sin of coveting is so dangerous and why it's so harmful to us. 1 Timothy 6.10 says it's a root of many other sins. It's a root cause. And so scripture teaches us that even the very first desires, the very first lusts from our sinful nature, even though they're spontaneous and involuntary, They are already sin. We refer to that as the sin of concupiscence and already needing repentance and forgiveness. And these two are under the blood of Jesus Christ. So the warning is that coveting is a root cause. It's also a slippery slope. It leads to many other sins. 1 Timothy 6, 9, those who covet to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. It's through this coveting that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs, impaled themselves. If a person persists in coveting and not repenting, they could be in danger of leaving the Christian profession, headed into apostasy. That's how serious the sin is. Think of Judas betraying Christ for 30 pieces of silver. Take the sin of coveting seriously. Piper's exhortation, God has gone the extra mile in the Bible to warn us mercifully that the idolatry of covetousness is a no-win situation. It's a dead-end street in the worst sense of the word. It's a trick and a trap 
So my word to you in the word of 1 Timothy 6.11, flee from it. When you see it coming, run from it the way you would run from a roaring lion escaped from the zoo and starving. Be warned, the sin of coveting, you need to deal drastically with it, fight and flee all of your life. Today, let's look at the subject of what's the remedy? What's the answer? We probably all have felt in this series undone by the Tenth Commandment, so where's the hope? The Tenth Commandment is given in a negative form, do not covet, and so we know that when a commandment is given in the negative form, the positive is also included. If the commandment is positive, then the negative is included. So the commandment, honor your father and mother, is a positive commandment, but that includes the negative. It's also telling us, do not dishonor your father and mother. So the 10th commandment, in negative form, do not covet, what would be its positive form? I would urge you to see today that the 10th commandment is primarily a positive commandment. It's only kept when you covet something as a true treasure, God himself. So the 10th commandment is really saying you need to have more coveting, not less. You just have to have it after the true treasure. So the scriptures tell us today, let's consider together, you can only have one ultimate treasure. Secondly, we're to covet God as the ultimate treasure. And third, coveting the ultimate treasure will drive out coveting lesser treasures. The Bible tells us you can only covet one ultimate treasure. Look at verse 24 again of Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You will have a master. The word for Lord here is Greek kurios, translated often master or Lord. God has created us to have a master. He's made us for himself. And life only works when your trust is in Christ and then out of a relationship to God as Father through Christ, out of gratitude for the gospel, he's center and you want to obey him and worship him for the forgiveness of sins. Life only makes sense when God is your master, but you will have a master. And if God is not your master, in the words of Dylan, you've got to serve somebody. Somebody will be your master. Because Jesus said here, you will have a master. That's the way you've been created. And there's another interesting word in verse 24, the word cannot. It's a very strong word. It's a sheer impossibility to have two masters. You cannot have two ultimate devotions in life. You can only have one. This is why it's the same context as what he's just been talking about. You can only have one ultimate treasure as well, verses 19 through 21. Treasure, whatever you covet the most, whatever you value the most. You can only have one ultimate treasure. You can only have one master. McLaren writes, treasure is not merely money or material good, but whatever each man thinks best, that which he most eagerly strives to attain, that which he most dreads to lose, that which if he has, he thinks he will be blessed, that which if he has not, he knows he is discontent. What's your ultimate treasure? Jesus said, make sure you don't lay up treasure here. There's nothing in this world that can be your ultimate treasure. 
Nothing in this world that can be your ultimate security or comfort or joy or happiness or identity. Jesus said nothing on this world. You must lay up treasure in heaven. It's only Christ and a relationship with him. Do not lay on treasure on earth. Is your ultimate treasure the Lord himself? Jesus says you can only have one ultimate treasure. You're either going to covet the stuff of this life, the relationships of this life, something in this world that you think you can find meaning and joy and happiness, or God and his word through Christ. The Bible tells us you can only covet one ultimate treasure. The Bible tells us, too, that then we are to covet God as that ultimate treasure. Turn to Exodus 20, verse 3. Christ is saying you can only have one ultimate treasure. We've been created to have one center, and that will only be satisfied in God through Christ. So the Lord has to be your center, one master, one treasure. And you might already be thinking, running ahead, well, that's the summary of the first commandment. It is. (laughs) Look at Exodus 20, verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. What's the language of the first commandment? You, first of all. It's masculine singular for all of the Ten Commandments. Yes, the Ten Commandments are given to the whole church of Israel as their constitution, even as a nation but it's individual. These commandments are given to each believer. You shall have no other gods besides me or before me. That's language for exclusive love, exclusive honor and allegiance to no one else but me. You should have no other gods. It's not really as if there's, there are other gods and you can pick which one. No, Isaiah 44, verse 6, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Deuteronomy 439, know therefore today and lay it to heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. There is no other. The first commandment is saying there is only one God. And you must never let anything else become a false god to you. You must never let anything else cut the line before God. There's a very emphatic word here for no. It's no gods before me. God is making it very clear. This is a prohibition about having anything before him. You shall have no other gods. It's the same language that's used throughout scripture as that exclusive covenant in marriage between a man and woman. You shall have no other wife. You shall have no other husband. The two of you shall become one, forsaking all others. It's the language of covenant loyalty. To him alone you may not have, you shall not have any other gods instead of me or alongside of me or in addition to me. No, no one's to cut the line. God is jealous for your exclusive love. Do you get upset when you've been waiting in line a long time? Somebody cuts, comes along and cuts the line. I was taking a, a flight several months ago, and it was a long inspection line. 
And here comes a person late for their flight and wants to cut the line. Excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Cutting everybody who's been waiting there for two hours. Or you get in the traffic. Traffic is stopped. Then you see that, oh, there's a merge up above. And here comes some guy speeding down the shoulder. Sure enough, he's going to cut in front of everybody else down the road. And you're... First commandment is saying, no one cuts the line ahead of the Lord in your heart. You're not to let anyone else, anything else, cut the line before God. He's to be first. He's to take first place. He's your ultimate treasure. He's your master. What's the requirement then of the first commandment? No other gods before me. No one cuts the line before God in your heart. That's the negative form, no other gods. Christ put it in the positive form, same commandment, but he said it in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven: you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and the first commandment. And the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. See, in Jesus' day, the Pharisees had counted up how many commandments were in the Old Testament scriptures. And they counted up 613 commands in all, 248 positive, 365 negative. And they spent their days debating which one and which order they should place them all of higher and lesser importance. It's in that context they asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And he answers, the exclusive love for God is the first and the great commandment. Christ's law of love is not saying, well, the New Testament has two commandments compared to the Old Testament with ten commandments or 613. He's he's not saying that. He's not saying that you love the Lord your God with all your heart and leave it up to your feelings, how you'll determine what is right and wrong, let the feelings be your guide. That's not what he's saying at all. He's saying the first commandment, which is no other gods before me, in its positive form is To love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. All of your heart. What's heart? Heart is used in scripture for the authentic person, the center of a person, your true inner self. Jesus is saying here, I'm talking about you in your heart of hearts. All your heart. All your soul. All your mind. Why is all repeated? Well, you know the answer to that, kids. (laughs) If mom says to you in a very strong voice, I want you to clean all your room, all of it. (laughs) What's she saying? (laughs) Don't stuff stuff under the bed. She's saying, I'm serious about this. The very center of your being. And why is three synonyms? Your heart, your soul, your mind. Well, saying something three times anyway, especially three synonyms, is for the superlative. Christ is saying, I mean it. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. That's the first commandment. Love for God as your ultimate treasure is is how you keep the first commandment. It's how you keep the whole law. As Paul said in Romans 13.9, love is the fulfilling of the law. Here's the summary of keeping the law. Loving the Lord your God. James 1.12, the Lord has promised the crown of life to those who love him. John 14.23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my commands. 
If anyone does not love me, he will not keep my commands. 1 Corinthians 16.22, if anyone does not love the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, strong word for accursed, damned from God. One mark of a true assurance that you have a true, genuine faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that you aren't just fooling yourself or going through the motions, is the question, do you love the Lord your God with all your heart? Why do you obey? Why are you trying to keep the Christian life? Is it from this motive that you're focused, you're consumed, you're praying, that it be out of a love for God, gratitude for Christ, and the work of the Spirit. What's the first commandment require? It's a commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, supremely. God's jealous for your exclusive love. John Gerstner writes, the fulfillment of this first commandment requires love of God. How can we exclude all others from his presence unless we love him? If, on the other hand, we do love him, what room will there be for any other gods? He is the infinite God who has soul crown rights over us. If we give any other being any right over us, however small, we are therein denying God. That is, we're denying him as God, denying that he has the sole authority which he claims. If, therefore, we love any other being as God, we do not love him as God. And if we do love him as God, then there is no room for any others as God's. Bible tells us that you can only covet one ultimate treasure, and we are to covet God as our ultimate treasure. So put those two together. Thirdly, consider coveting the ultimate treasure will drive out coveting the lesser treasures. We're back to Matthew 6 and verse 24. Here's the way to keep the 10th commandment. Do not covet. It's the, tru- it's the truth of Christ's words. No man can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. View that as a positive statement of fact. You cannot serve two masters. So if Christ is your ultimate treasure, you see, then that will drive out coveting other things. If God is your ultimate love, that will drive out the love of other things. It's a different language, but it's the same thought when the Apostle Paul said it in Romans 13, 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. How do you respond to not covet and the desires of the flesh and desires of the sinful nature? Put on Christ. The positive replaces the negative. The greater love for God will replace the coveting of lesser things. Isn't that an exciting answer? How to not sinfully covet is to covet first and more Jesus Christ. Because by definition, you can only treasure one thing. So coveting after Christ more is going to drive out coveting other stuff of this world and the lusts of the flesh. By obeying the first commandment, love the Lord your God, you're going to keep the tenth commandment. Do not covet the stuff of this world. And to keep the 10th commandment, do not covet, is to covet after Christ, to have all your desires and hopes in him. So the 10th commandment and the first commandment are the reverse of each other. We love the Lord our God with all of our hearts, seek first his kingdom, do all things for his glory out of love for him. 
But when we desire different and more than what God has provided, we do not love him then with all of our heart. And so we're breaking the 10th commandment and breaking the first commandment. John Piper had the same observation, quote, coveting is desiring anything other than God in a way that betrays a loss of contentment and satisfaction in him. Covetousness is a heart divided between two gods. So Paul calls it idolatry. Covetousness is desiring something so much that you lose your contentment in God. And the reverse is true. If you find your contentment in God and love him supremely, that will be the Lord's answer to not covet the stuff of this world, the relationships of this world that take the Lord's place. In the 19th century, Thomas Chalmers, a Scottish minister, preached a sermon entitled The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. That's the answer to coveting. We need an increased affection for Christ and his will, his kingdom, and that will expel from our hearts coveting the things of the world. When we brought uh, Machen home as a puppy, our Shetland sheepdog, he was already six months old. And if you know anything about Lassie, Collies, the Shetland sheepdogs are just the same. There's a natural instinct to be loyal to one master, to protect one home, one farm. So when we bought the puppy, he was already six months old, and the sellers in Lancaster told us that if Machen ever got loose, he would get back to Lancaster. So we had to keep him tied up for six months until his loyalty changed, until his loyalty shifted to us, because he could only have one loyalty until he became loyal to us, because the Shetland sheepdog is a one family loyalty dog. Who are you loyal to? You can only have one master, one treasure. Your heart, Christian, is to be exclusive in its desiring Christ alone. That's why coveting after things of this world are sinful, because they're taking the place of that one devotion of our triune God. Tenth commandment comes full circle back to the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, with all your mind. Love is the fulfilling of the law. Here's how to keep the first commandment. Here's how to keep the tenth commandment. Here's how to keep all of the ten commandments. Here is how to keep all of scripture. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Ten commandments are not a sterile law code. They're certainly not even just a constitution that are given to Israel and Mount Sinai. It's a revelation of God. Here's the response of the believer who's been saved by grace. Bring your heart back to him and love him with all your heart. Isn't it a shame that we needed the law to tell us to love the Lord? Lloyd-Jones says, the more I study this New Testament and live this Christian life, the more convinced I am, indeed the more certain I am, that our fundamental difficulty, our fundamental lack is a lack of love of God. It's not our knowledge as much that that is defective, it's our love of God. And our greatest object and endeavor 
should be to know him better and to love him more truly. So where do you get the love for God? It's not going to be primarily from more determination, more discipline, more effort, working harder. The Bible tells you where you get this love for God. It's to meditate on what Christ has done for you in the gospel. And when you believe and know and meditate on the work of Jesus Christ and what he's done for you, then you will respond in love for him. You will respond in love to keep the first commandment. Remember in Luke 6, when we were there, we saw the account of the woman coming to Jesus. And she was known as a sinner, but had been forgiven by Jesus. And she came crying, and she was anointing his feet with this very expensive ointment from an alabaster flask. And the Pharisees were really put out by this, saying, Jesus, don't, don't allow this sinful woman to do this. And Jesus says, Simon, I have a parable to tell you. Somebody owed a moneylender. One man owed him 500 denarii and another owed him 50. Neither of them could pay, so the moneylender forgave them both. Which of them will love the moneylender more? Well, the one who's been forgiven much. Yeah. That's why this woman is crying in joy and anointing me with oil. She knows she's been forgiven much. That's where you're going to get your love for God. It's knowing how much you've been forgiven in Christ. And the gospel will be new to you and deep to you. and It'll be center. And your heart responds in love. You will only love God if you know the gospel. If you know how much Christ has loved you to die for you. And to forgive you for all of your sins. Shorter Catechism asks, what's the chief end of man? Chief end, what's the priority of our life for all meaning, all fulfillment? What's the reason we're created? And the answer is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, or as Piper puts it, to glorify him by enjoying him forever. Or we could add, to enjoy him by loving him forever. That's your ultimate treasure. So the Tenth Commandment, I would posit to you, is really a positive command. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart. The Tenth Commandment is not asking for less coveting. It's asking for more coveting, just on the right stuff, the right person. And you love the Lord your God with all of your heart. The great pioneer missionary David Livingston took the gospel to Africa in the years 1840 to 1873. He brought the news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, to people who had never heard of Jesus. He became friends with several tribal chiefs. He learned several African languages. He was very opposed to the slave trade. He said the only way to fight the slave trade was through Christianity, commerce, and civilization. Quote. He died of dysentery and malaria. May 1st, 1873, at the age of 60, in what today is Zambia. His body was to be shipped back to England to be buried at Westminster Abbey, the gratitude of a nation. But before his body was shipped, his heart was taken and lovingly buried near a tall mavula tree in an African village, now today the site of the Livingston Memorial. His heart was buried in the continent that he loved. 
if your heart were be to be buried in the place that you loved or with the stuff that you loved during this life, where would it be? Jesus warns us. The heart can only have one treasure, one master. Is your heart fixed on Christ and eternity or the passing stuff of this life? Where's your ultimate treasure? Your ultimate loyalty? Your ultimate devotion? We need the Ten Commandments, don't we? The Ten Commandments show us our sin, show us that none of us are going to stand before God presenting our own good works. Ten Commandments undo us, and that's their purpose. But they're also to drive us to Christ. Here's what the Savior has done. The subtext of the whole Bible is God's coming to the rescue. You can't do it yourself. And Jesus Christ has come as our Savior. The law tells us what we must do, what we haven't done. The gospel tells us this is what Christ has done. He's paid for our sins on the cross. He paid for all of them. He even paid for the sinful desires that you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart. And his perfect righteousness, his love for God the Father is what's credited to you, believer, and that's what you stand under. And he lovingly does this for all who receive him by faith alone. Let the 10th commandment today drive you to Christ in repentance. Let the 10th commandment drive you to Christ in faith. Let the 10th commandment drive you today to Christ in in love. How could he love the likes of us? Such love that he would die for us while we were still his enemies, he died for us. And then our response is we love him because he first loved us. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, first one. Isn't that humbling? You need to even ask the Holy Spirit to give us the love to return back to the Lord. But you come, and he will. You shall not covet anything that is your neighbor's. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Shall we pray? Father, thank you for the good news of the gospel that you have come to rescue us, for we could not rescue ourselves. And thank you that you will, our Savior has said he will never drive away anyone who comes to him. We pray, our Father, that we will know a greater work in our hearts gratitude for the gospel, which will respond in love for you with all of our heart and with all of our soul and all of our mind. We pray in Jesus' name.